0: Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church on this cold November day. We are glad that you've joined us this morning for worship. Um, Before we get started, there are a few things you're going to need. One is this worship folder. Um, It has songs and will kind of guide you through the worship service this morning. There are also announcements inside of that, so be sure and check that out. And then if you're a visitor or guest with us, um, we'd like you to invite you to fill out this visitor form and then just place it in the offering plate later in the service. We'd love to follow up with you and thank you for being here today. This morning is a service of gratitude, a time to give thanks. Um, this week is probably one of the busiest weeks of the year for many, us, many of us, but also maybe a time when we give thanks um, much more than we normally do. So I invite you during this time to give thanks to God um, and reflect on all the things you're grateful for today. We're also gonna have our annual harvest meal after the service. Um, And this is one of my very favorite things that we do at Calvary and I'm really excited about it. Um, Some really great potluck food. And so that's gonna be after the service and we invite any guests that are with us today. I know it can be difficult to go down to a meal if you're new in a place, but we would love for you to join us. Um, We'll have a great meal downstairs in the fellowship hall, and you can just follow the crowd after the service is over.
1: glory. So the fall.
0: with me. Gracious God, your ways are wonderful and strange. Where the American dream says work hard to make something of and for yourself, you say that our lives are richer when we give what we have away. So may we be like the early Christians in Macedonia whose generosity exceeded their means. May we be generous with our very selves May we not only desire and intend to be generous, but may we actually act generously, for faith without works is dead. May we actively resist the myths of scarcity that tell us to scramble to get what we can because there's not enough. May we instead be a people who bear faithful witness to your abundance. Amen.
2: For the things you have done for me, things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me.
1: The voices of a million. Could not express my gratitude. All that.
3: I ask you all to come and join me in the front. Okay, have you ever thought about what your house smells like? Like, maybe on a good day, not a bad day. Um, yeah, a normal time. What does your church smell like? When you smell this place, what do, you, what do you smell? Yeah, I don't know, I don't know. What do you think? What? Cake, okay. Okay. Um, Well, we were expecting a lot of food smells today because we have food downstairs, but everybody brought the food already prepared, so it doesn't really smell like we thought it would in here. Um, But if it did, you might smell a lot of food today. But places smell like something, even when we walk into them. This week is Thanksgiving, and I know everybody's looking forward to Thanksgiving, right? Right. You're looking forward to probably some special food, maybe some foods that you like a lot, and maybe some that you don't like so much. How do you think smells help us to be thankful? Have you ever thought about that question? How might the smell of something help us to be thankful? What do you think? Turkey? Mm Hmm. Vegetables? Well, smells can help us to be thankful. Here's some things that I've thought about this week, about thankfulness and smells. I know that's really weird. But smells can help us to be thankful because smells help us to remember. When we smell something, we remember it. Like if you were to smell some food that you really, really like, you would remember what it tastes like, right? The smell would remind you of what it tastes like, and then you would think, oh, I think I want some of that food. I'd like to eat that again. What if you had a really hard day at school? Things really didn't go your way. If anybody had a hard day at school before? Yeah, we could all raise our hand, double, double, triple for that, about the hard times at school. But when you get in your car, maybe with somebody from your family, you get somebody that you trust, you get in the car and your car smells like your car, right? And you think, oh my goodness, I'm okay. Or you get close to someone that you care about and you know that. Or you walk in from home and you can smell your house and say, this is a safe place. I'm okay here. This is good. Even today, after I've been away from home for about 40 years, that's so, so long for some of you, but I've been away from home a long, 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 long time, I can walk into my parents' home, into my mother's house, late at night, maybe after I've been on a long trip getting there from here to Alabama, which is about 15 hours And I can walk into that place, and by the smell, I know I'm at home. I know that I'm in a place that's safe for me, and it brings back memories. I can go to the church that I grew up in, the church that I went to when I was your age, and I can walk in the door, and it smells like no other place in the world except my church, the church I grew up in. And I know that's a good place for me because it's a place where people still love me after all these years. This week, as you smell good food, okay, as you are around people that you love and you care about, and you're you're aware of how they smell, maybe the what your parents smell like and the cologne they have on, or the soap they bathed in, or just the way they smell. When you're around those people, when you think about it and you smell those different smells, think, oh, I remember to be thankful. I can remember. And when you walk into this place, think about what it feels like to you and what it might say about how you can say thanks to God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for all the senses that you give us. Thank you for letting us feel, touch, smell, see, and hear. We are so grateful for all of that. Help us to have our senses fully awake this week Help us to see, to hear, to smell, and to touch, and to say thank you, God, for being so good to us. Amen. You can go back to your seats now.
4: A reading from the book of Proverbs.
5: Some give freely, yet grow all the richer. Others withhold what is due and only suffer want. A generous
4: person will be enriched, and one who gives water will get water. The people curse those who hold back grain, but a blessing is on the head of those who sell it.
5: A reading from the second epistle to the Corinthians.
4: We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into, in a wealth of generosity on their part.
5: For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means, and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints, And this, not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us, so that we might urge Titus that as he already made a beginning, so that he should also complete this generous undertaking among you.
4: Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking.
5: I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others.
4: For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might
5: become rich. And in this matter, I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year Not only to do something, but even to desire to do something. Now finish doing it, so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to
4: what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you. But it is a question of a fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance might be for your need, in order that there may be a fair balance.
5: As it is written, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. This is the word of God for the people of God.
4: Thanks be to God.
6: Jesus, we say thank you this morning for the people sitting beside us in these pews, for the people who are such a significant part of our lives, whether they be family or friends, people inside or outside of these walls. We say thank you. for the places that have been such significant parts of our journeys, places we might be traveling to this week or maybe we haven't been to in a long time, but we were formed in those places by those people. And for them, we say thank you. For the experiences that have made us into the people that you are calling and creating us to be. Um, Some may have been wonderful, some may have been hard but for these experiences and times of formation, we say thank you. For the simple things in our lives that make such a big difference, we say thank you. For the homes we slept in last night, for the food that will be on our table at lunch today, for the air that we breathe, the ability to breathe, Father, for the ability to walk, For the ability to be here today, Jesus, we say thank you. God, help us to be a grateful, thankful people for the abundance of what you have given to us. And now may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this room be found pleasing to you. Oh Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In September of 1985, Scott McCauley was only 24 years old. And his parents had divorced a few years earlier, and he said it was just always a constant battle in his family about who was going to spend the holidays where. I'm sure some of us have had experiences like that. And so Scott began to think that maybe there are some other people out there in the same boat. And so why should they all be stuck at home by themselves for the holidays? So he says, I decided to put an ad in the local newspaper. And if people thought that they would find themselves alone, they could give me a call and I would make all of us a Thanksgiving dinner. Well, that first year, a few people came, and and they had a good time. He said, I was nervous about making a mess out of the food and disappointing people, but the food was okay, and I didn't burn anything, so I considered it a success. And I've held the dinner every year since. Last Thanksgiving, almost 90 people showed up. Sometimes they're new to town, sometimes they are recently divorced or widowed. I've had people who were new to the country and didn't speak English. I've had poor people, people who came from AA, old people. And what I do, he says, is I transform the fellowship hall of my church to look as close to a home as I can get it. I have a fake fireplace. I even have Norman Rockwell's famous Thanksgiving picture framed and I hang it on the wall of our fellowship hall. And the way that I test my success or failure is by how long people stay. Two years ago, he says, a woman with Parkinson's disease came, and she was not really good on her feet. She had been in a nursing home for seven years and had never been out. Somebody told her about the dinner, so we hired an ambulance to bring her. She had a great time, and she cried when the ambulance returned to get her. She didn't want to go home. Most of the people who come don't know who I am. They know that there's some skinny guy in the kitchen, but they don't know my name. I think the theme of my life and everything I try to do could be summed up with the name of an old hymn called Brighten the Corner Where You Are. I hope my legacy will be that I came into the world, I brightened the corner, and then I quietly left the world unnoticed. Well, this year Scott is now 56 years old. He owns a small vacuum cleaner store and he will be hosting his 32nd Thanksgiving dinner later this week at the Green Street Baptist Church in Melrose, Massachusetts. I don't know about you all, but when I hear stories like Scott's, I am blown away by some people's generosity. I'm just blown away that someone would do that for 32 years. And I think that is where Paul finds himself in this week's letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he is blown away by the generosity of the Macedonians. Now, what is surprising about these early communities of Christians is that They were extremely poor, and they were actually facing great persecution. In fact, at first, Paul didn't even think to ask them to contribute to the financial needs of the church. But when they got wind of it, they actually begged him to be allowed to participate. And once included, they gave not merely what might have been reasonably expected, but as the text says, they actually gave beyond their means. Now, I would imagine that those of us who have visited impoverished countries have maybe experienced something like this kind of generosity. Ask Tim Smith or anyone who has been to Lebanon to share about the generous feast that is shared for them at the refugee camp. Or ask Randall and Brenda Bradley to share about the radical generosity you have experienced in Kenya over the years. Ask David Norris or Nicole Guthrie or Carol Boyle about the generosity shown to them by churches on the border in South Texas. Sometimes I think it is those of us who have the least who are actually willing to share the most. And I especially see this at camp with the kids in the summers. It's the students who don't even have all of their own toiletry items who are almost always the very first to offer whatever they have to help when another student needs something, whether it's a dirty shirt or a water bottle, or yes, even a toothbrush. But this just isn't how the majority of people live the majority of the time, is it? In the book, Giving We Receive, Grasping We Lose, Christian Smith and Hilary Davidson, who are sociologists at Notre Dame, they study generosity. And through their unprecedented nationwide survey, they said that they find that only 2.7% of Americans give a tenth or more of their income to charity. At least 86.2% give away less than 2% of their income and nearly half give nothing. And while these statistics may catch us off guard, I think you and I could probably list a million reasons why we might not want to give of our finances to a particular cause or organization or even to the church. What if I add another charitable expense to my monthly expenses, but then I can't pay off my student loans? Or what if the stock market crashes and I lose part of my retirement funds? What if I give this $20 away, but then I don't have money to eat out later this month or to buy the nice things that I'd like to have? What if by being more generous, my own financial security becomes more unstable? You see, there is always a risk involved in generosity, if if it's truly generosity. And it's a risk that you and I probably don't take often enough. But by grasping on to what we currently have, Christian Smith writes, we lose out on better goods that we might have gained. In holding on to what we possess, we diminish its long-term value to us. By always protecting ourselves against future uncertainties and misfortunes, we are affected in ways that make us more anxious about uncertainties and vulnerable to future misfortunes. In short, by failing to care for others, we do not properly care for ourselves. It is no coincidence, she says, that the word miser is etymologically related to the word miserable. And I think Paul knows this. He knows that the generosity is not only needed on behalf of of those whom the money is going toward, that generosity is also needed on behalf of those who are offering it. And so he writes to the Corinthians and says, just as the Macedonians have given so earnestly, we want you to do likewise. Scholar Ernest Best says that when Paul asks the Corinthians for a little more in the collection, he knows what is at stake Is not a widow's next dinner, but the life of the church. For if the Corinthians were unworried about the Christians in Jerusalem, it would not be long until there was no church in Corinth. There might be a group of people who continue to worship together, but it would have cut Christ out from itself. And, you know, as I was thinking about this this week, it it really ties in well with our discussion on the head, the heart, and the hand over the past few weeks. The Corinthian church is excelling in the heart and even in the head. But Paul writes in verse 7, Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in eagerness, and in love, so we also want you to excel in this generous undertaking. In your giving. Now, I fully recognize that, that talking about money is hard and complicated and messy. We all have different amounts of money and there are probably so many different views in this room about how much to save, how much to spend, how much to give. And we've probably all been in settings where people talk about money in unhealthy or manipulative or even in shaming ways and even in the church. But I also think we can't react so strongly to these experiences that we neglect to talk about money at all. Because while it can be uncomfortable, the truth is that Jesus talked about money a lot. The rich young ruler, the widow's might, the parable of the talents, Zacchaeus, the tax collector. In fact, Jesus spent much more time in his ministry talking about money than some of the other things that we can get so preoccupied with talking about today. And maybe one reason that Jesus talked about money so much is because the way we spend our money reveals a lot about who we are and who we value and what is important to us. For many of us, it reveals that we are not truly satisfied with what we have and we are constantly searching and wanting for more. I mean, just think about it. Several thousand times a day, billboards, online ads, magazines, commercials, radio ads, newspapers, movies, and social media all tell us the same message. You do not have enough. You are not attractive enough. Your house is not full enough. Your clothes are not nice enough. You are not strong enough. You are not skinny enough. Your car is not fast enough. You are not happy enough. You are not cool enough. You are not enough. And so we try to use our money to fill in some of those different voids in our lives. And I am just as guilty of that as anyone in this room. But at the heart of this text and at the heart of our gospel is that our God is a God of abundance. And in Christ, we are always enough. We always have more than enough. There is always more than enough food to eat, more wine in the jars, more water in the wilderness, more fish in the nets, more food in the baskets. There is strength even when we are at our weakest. There is grace even when we are at our lowest. There is hope even when we are in despair. There is light even in the darkness. There is new life even when all the signs around us point to death. Through Christ, there is always more than enough. And that is what this Macedonian community embodies. Paul writes that during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Through their abundance came this overflow of generosity. You see, I don't think that a lifestyle of generosity is possible if you and I are constantly operating with a mindset of scarcity. Radical generosity, generosity that pushes us to give beyond our means, like the Macedonians. Generosity that forces us to risk something. It only comes from a radical appreciation for the abundance of what God has already given to us. I love how authors Chris Willard and Jim Shepherd define generosity as a lifestyle in which we share all that we have, are, and ever will become as a demonstration of God's love and as a response to God's grace. Or as history tells us, John Wesley once said that we ought to do all the good we can by all the means we can, in all the ways we can, in all the places we can, at all the times we can, to all the people we can, as long as we ever can. And I can't think of a better picture of abundant generosity than that. And I see these pictures of this kind of generosity lived out each day here at Calvary. Calvary. I see generosity in those who teach Sunday school each week and care for our children each week, and those who bring children to church each week, and those who mentor, who provide meals, who visit, who care for, who offer their love, their care, their kinship, and their hope in such generous ways in this place week after week. But being generous by all the means we can and in all the ways that we can— also includes being generous with our finances. It is an important part of our calling as followers of Christ that can't be overlooked, as Paul reminded the church at Corinth. Now you can just tell by walking into our building that Calvary is not an extravagant church. We don't have a fancy building or state of the art equipment. We have doors that creak an elevator that always tends to break, and a roof that continually leaks from time to time. Being fancy just isn't important to us. We, we want to use our resources responsibly and to use them well. Calvary's budget doesn't go toward frivolous things. It goes toward kingdom things. And when we give generously to what God is doing at Calvary, We do things like help to keep the church cool during the scorching hot summer. And kids who are playing across the street can come cool off and get a cup of cold water. Our families can come meet with our social work intern each week to receive resources, care, and support in difficult situations. When we give generously to what God is doing at Calvary, we welcome the many students who come each day to work on their GED or to learn English so they can better support themselves and their families. But we have to pay the light bill in order to do that. When we give generously to what God is doing here, we help Calvary to be a safe, nurturing space for our children and for our youth to encounter God in ways that are real and transformative. We help Calvary to be a sanctuary for all God's people. But sometimes that means having to buy goldfish and apple juice for Sunday mornings or pizza parties after a football game. When we give generously to what God is doing here, we provide a space for meaningful, engaging worship that invites everyone who walks inside to connect with God in a deeper way and in a way that leaves us transformed week after week. And that involves music and instruments and technology and administration and the leadership of our staff. When we give generously to what God is doing here, we help children at West Avenue go home with a backpack of food every weekend of the school year. We undergird the work that Josh Caballero does at Waco Community Development and Kendall at the Good Neighbor House. We support students who are studying at Truett Seminary or the Garland School of Social Work. And when we give generously here, We help Calvary to minister more fully and more faithfully with our hearts, our heads, and our hands here at 18th and Bosque and around the world. And so my prayer is that the generosity of our hands might mirror the generosity of our minds and our hearts in this place. And so today I'm asking each of us to consider how we as Calvary might also excel in generosity including our financial generosity? How is God inviting each of us to give in all the ways that we can, by all the means that we can, out of the radical abundance of what God has already given us? As we end, I'd love to share a prayer written by Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann. And may these words invite each of us to consider how God is calling us to give generously as we partner together in the work of the gospel in the days ahead. God, on our own, we conclude that there is never enough to go around. We're going to run short of money, of love, of grades, of publications, of pleasure, of members, of years, of life. We should seize the day, seize our goods, seize our neighbor's goods, because there is not enough to go around. And yet, in the midst of our perceived deficit, you come. You come giving bread in the wilderness. You come giving children at the 11th hour. You come giving homes to exiles. You come giving futures to the shutdown. You come giving Easter joy to the dead. You come fleshed in Jesus. And we watch while the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor dance and sing. We watch and we take food we did not grow, and life we did not invent, and future that is gift and gift and gift, and families and neighbors who sustain us when we did not deserve it. And it dawns on us, later rather than soon, that you give food in due season and open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. By your giving, break our cycles of imagined scarcity, override our presumed deficits, quiet our anxieties of lack, transform our perceptual field to see the abundance, to see mercy upon mercy and blessing upon blessing. God, sink your generosity deep into our lives, that your muchness may expose our false lack, that endlessly receiving we may endlessly give, so that the world may be made Easter new, without greedy lack but only wonder, without coercive need but only love, without destructive greed but only praise. Without aggression and invasiveness, all things Easter new, all around us, toward us, and by us, God, make all things Easter new. Amen. Well, I hope you have heard today that this invitation to generosity only comes because we follow in the way of a good and generous God. And the truth is that God gave everything for us when he sent Jesus, not only to be with us, but to be one of us and to live and to die so that we might have new life and not only life, but that we might have it abundantly. And so if you would like to talk with one of our ministers about what it means to follow Jesus with your life, we would love to visit with you in the back of the sanctuary. maybe you are interested in being part of this community of faith where we seek to live generously together. We would love to welcome you into our church family today. And so however God is inviting you to respond, our ministers will be in the back of the sanctuary ready to receive you as we continue in worship.
7: Those of all their first fruits brought of wine, flock and field to God, the giver of all good, the source of bounteous yield. So we today our first fruits bring, the wealth of this good land, of farm and market shop and home of Mind and heart and hand. A world indeed now summons us to labor, love, and give, to make our life an offering of all may truly live. The Church of Christ is called. To make the dream come true. A world redeemed by Christ-like love. all life in Christ made new. In gratitude and humble trust. We bring our best today. To serve your cause and share your love. All along life's way O God, who gave yourself to us In Jesus Christ, your Son Help us to give ourselves each day Until life's work is done
1: Pray with me God, we come to you today from many different places and many different walks of life. God, we come to you today in places of abundance and in places of need. Help us to be generous in our abundance and generous in our need. Help us to be generous beyond our ability. We confess that we are anxious and unsure. Help us today to lean on your spirit as we consider how we can give back the gifts you have blessed us with. In the name of the God who gives abundantly, we pray. Amen. The warmth to swell the grain, the breezes and the sunshine, and soft refreshing rain. flower. He lights
2: the evening star
1: time and the harvest, our life, our health, and food. No gifts we have to offer, for all thy love imparts, but that which thou desirest, our humble, thankful hearts.
2: All good gifts.
6: Remember that the Mission Waco Toy Drive ends next week. And as you are doing your Christmas shopping this week or maybe Black Friday shopping, I hope you might consider being generous toward that need in our community. Um, We actually won't have a benediction today because we are continuing worship downstairs in the fellowship hall for our annual harvest meal. And we have an abundance of food thanks to your generosity. And so even if you came and didn't know there was a meal today or you weren't able to bring something, we invite everyone to stay and join us. Particularly if you are new to Calvary, we would really love the chance to get to know you better and to share time around the table with you. Uh, parents, we do ask that you pick your children up before you go downstairs so that our child care workers and our volunteers can join us for the meal as well. So let us make our way downstairs as we continue. Oh, good call. Thank you. There are two lines, two ways to go down to the fellowship hall. So you can go down this stairwell to my left, your right. you can go down that stairwell behind where David Lentz, where he's pointing. So there are lines in both places, four lines, two rows of food. Sit with someone you don't know and join us for lunch.